Kiora, and welcome to Walking the Shadowlands podcast. Let me be your guide as we take a walk into the shadowy realms of the unexplained, of the paranormal, of things that go bump in the night and haunt your dreams. Your hosts. I'm Marianne. Thanks so much for joining us today, tonight, whatever time it is, wherever you're living in this beautiful world of ours. Sit back, relax, and let me be your guide as we walk into the Shadowlands together and see what awaits us there. Most of us go to work and don't think too much about how our everyday life impacts on our work credibility. But for some of us, this can be a very huge issue, especially if we're in the public eye and pretty well known in our field of work. Now, imagine if you went about your normal business and private life. You'd never given the paranormal or other states of being much thought. Or if you did, you dismissed it. You really didn't believe in the paranormal, the unseen realms, in the shadowlands, where things are mysterious and unexplained. It simply isn't part of your day-to-day paradigm or way of thinking. Can you imagine how you would feel if suddenly your whole way of viewing the world was turned upside down when you purchased and started restoring a home that was actively haunted? How would you react? What would you do? Would you struggle to believe this, especially when it doesn't fit into your world viewpoint? Then, when you eventually come to a piece and the beginning of an understanding about this, you decide to delve more into this part of the Shadowlands, out of curiosity more than anything, perhaps. Or perhaps you're simply seeking validation of your experiences in your home. For whatever reason, one day you're visiting a Civil War battle site and have the opportunity to go on a ghost hunt at Gettysburg and actually have a verbal encounter with a Civil War soldier who was killed in that battle. Moreover, after the experience, you're able to validate the details given to you by the Spirit. How would that make you feel? You seriously consider writing a book about your experiences and as you are already a well-known author and journalist by profession, one with a well-earned reputation gained over 40 years of working in the field. You have a regular column that's so popular it's been made into several books. You're also an avid Civil War reenactor and author of books on the Civil War, a gentleman known for your detail, your research skills and historical accuracy. But you struggle with the potential loss of credibility you have justly earned over all the years. What would you do? This is the dilemma that faced my guest. Are you ready to walk with me into this part of the Shadowlands with my guest and see what awaits us there? Let's begin. My guest originally began his career as a journalist, a career that now spans more than four decades, much of that time with the Daily Bryan Times newspaper in the northwest Ohio in the United States. To be successful as a writer and an editor with a community paper requires accuracy, truthfulness and trust, simply put. 
if Don had not been painstakingly accurate and built a culture of trust with his readers, he could not have survived and thrived as a journalist for so many years. His work as an editor, page and section composition and columnist has been recognised with numerous Associated Press awards. In addition, Don has authored and contributed to books on the American Civil War and Northwest Ohio history. In addition to his books on the paranormal, Don and his wife are the founders and publishers of Faded Banner Publications. For nearly four decades, Don served on the Williams County, Ohio Historical Society Board of Trustees, and through the years he's held various offices within the organisation. He spearheaded the successful effort in which the Society acquired and preserved the 1845 Society of Friends Meeting House in Western Williams County. Don is also a founding member and past trustee and officer of the Stryker Area Heritage Council. Currently, Don serves as an interpreter with the Sorda Village, Archibald, Ohio. Don's in demand as a speaker and presenter at conferences and other events. During 2019 alone, he was a presenter at the Gettysburg Battlefield Bash and numerous paranormal conferences. He's also given presentations and provided book signings at Civil War Roundtables, museums, historical societies and National Park Service sites, including the National Prisoner of War Museum in Andersonville, Georgia. We begin our conversation when Don's looking at purchasing a home he's admired since he was a child. My guest, Don Ellison. Yeah, the the house that I'm now talking to you from, my office in that house, I've watched the house since I was a kid and was always fascinated by the house because it's much older than most of the houses. We're in the Great Black Swamp. It was one of the last parts of Ohio settled. But I just watched this poor house deteriorate, and I thought it was great. And it, I didn't even know it was for sale, but my son was looking for a house. And he saw there was a listing, and he asked me to come along from the picture. I couldn't tell if it was this house or not. But when we arrived, 
uh, it was in such bad shape that my son's girlfriend's little girl was with them and the realtor advised that she not even come in the house. Uh-huh. It was in very rough shape. Well, it was too rough for my son. He didn't want to tackle that. He needed something he could live in right away. I was fascinated with the house. It's much of the house is original to 1835 and a lot of the woodwork doors, hardware has never been changed. And unfortunately it was in such rough shape that you, some of the floors would not bear your weight from the water damage. You could stand in the basement, look through the ground and second floor levels and through the roof and see the sky in one spot. (laughs) <laughs> but we thought, well, I had told my wife about it. She was intrigued. We looked at it. We had three different contractors come through, give us estimates. And we thought, yeah, we it's it, there's enough here that's solid that we could restore it. So we bought it, bit the bullet, and I'm glad we did. But early on, when we were working on the house outside, a gentleman who had lived here for almost 25 years saw us outside he pulled in came almost running over to us and and said you guys know this house is haunted well we really hadn't worked inside with it much so um, my wife and i looked at each other i had to bite my tongue because what i wanted to say is that explains the half empty booze bottles we're finding <laughs> hidden uh, different parts of the house but he seemed like a nice guy and i didn't want to be rude he was a an art teacher a music teacher substitute at that time in schools. I think he was of retirement age, but so we listened to him and and kind of um, let him go and didn't argue with him. Things seemed okay until he told us about being visited by aliens who disappeared into the cornfield. So we really didn't put much stock at all on what he told us. But it wasn't too much later than we started experiencing some of the very things that he experienced. The one that really sticks out, he said he heard would often hear footsteps running across upstairs from bedroom at one end of the house through the middle, across the hallway, into the north bedroom, and the door would slam. Oh, the odd thing was the door at the top of the... uh, of the stairs that we would hear close was actually stuck partway open, could not be budged. Um, It had swelled from some of the water damage, but yet you would clearly hear the door close and even the metallic click of the lock set. And when I heard that, I thought, what in the world? I thought, well, there must be an animal like a raccoon or something in, in the house. I ran upstairs, nothing. The door was not moved. It, It couldn't be moved. There weren't even any footsteps in the dust. We had not done anything upstairs yet. And I was just kind of like, wow, what in the world is going on here? Well, that repeated itself different times. And it just, we would often hear, this sounded like very light barefoot footsteps, perhaps a child or maybe a a small woman is what it sounded like. Uh, We would hear heavy steps. Uh, I would hear them like the front door open and I would hear footsteps go down the main hall or go up the steps and hear walking around upstairs, but the door did not open and there was nobody visible. Um, 
just these sorts of things. And I was thinking I was losing my mind. Luckily, my wife was helping me work here. She experienced them. Um, a good example is one time when we were working upstairs in the south bedroom, which is actually the newer part of the house from the 1860s, um, we heard the front door open. We heard somebody walk across the living room and into the dining room, just real as could be. Well, we thought someone from the family had stopped out to visit, looked out the window. There were no cars in the drive. Um, so then I hollered down the, the back stairs, no answer. I went downstairs to look, there was nobody there, but it could not have been a more realistic sound. Right. So these were the sorts of things that really got our heads, you know, just spinning. But some of the things that really were odd is electronics. We had the electricity to the house turned off. It was very old wiring. It had been water damaged. We didn't want to risk a fire. So we had no power in the house. We used everything either by batteries or I had a generator that we would run outside. And um, we had radios, battery powered radios, a CD player. Because we were doing a lot of work with saws and sawdust kicking up dust, I had found a CD player radio at a garage sale. Well, this thing would shut off or turn on on its own. It would change radio stations, and I thought it was defective. I threw it away and bought a brand new one, mm -hmm. and this one would come on, turn off by itself, change radio stations <laughs> by itself. Um, I thought, what in the world is, is going on here? The most, most amazing one is my wife, Diane, and I were working outside working on bricks, tuck-pointing bricks, and the radio kept going from music we were listening to to a Bowling Green State University men's basketball game. And it didn't matter what station we put it on. Within 30 seconds, it was back on the basketball game. It was kind of insulting because Bowling Green is the arch rival to the University of Toledo, where I attended, uh, which kind of adds some humor to it. But we gave up trying to to change it i bet we changed it a dozen times and it went back finally when the game was over we put it back on our original station and had no more problems it's like we were just scratching our heads at this um, another time i was working and it was after dark and i had a saw set up in the living room i was cutting floorboards to replace the upstairs bedroom floor and I had radio going, everything was plugged into a generator. The radio was actually plugged in, in this case. And every time a loud rock song, this is a classic rock station, every time a loud rock song would come on, the radio would turn off. And after it happened three times, this is the first time I ever did this, I spoke out loud out of frustration and said, look, leave the radio alone. I like this music. Don't turn it off. Don't make me stop what I'm doing to turn it back on. Leave the radio alone. So I go back to work and I don't know, two or three songs later, the Elton John song, Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting came on. The radio didn't turn off. The generator outside turned off. <laughs> me in the dark. And I just stood there and I laughed and I went outside the generator. It was flipped off. It was not, didn't run out of gas, no issue. It fired right back up and 
nothing bothered me the rest of that night. But that's just very indicative of the things that, that still to this day will happen here. Wow. So obviously, um, whomever is in your house has a sense of humor. Yes, most definitely. And we we think we know who some of the spirits are. When this was first happening, I, I wanted nothing to do with it. I was a total skeptic, as you, uh, if you've read my books, you, yes. you I'm sure saw that. Um, I didn't even believe my own grandmother, a Southern Baptist minister's wife, when she told me they lived in a haunted parsonage in Louisiana. I just thought, she wouldn't have lied to me. My grandmother was a very straightforward person. She did have a sense of humor, but she was very serious. And I just thought, ah, uh, she maybe had a little too much spicy Cajun food before <laughs> she uh, went to bed. I didn't, didn't argue with her. Well, now I totally believe her. She told about waking up in the middle of the night to see a man in outdated clothing standing at the foot of their bed, plain as could be, their eyes locked, and then he just vanished. Um, other times, she said somebody sat on their bed. She and Grandpa were in bed. It left an imprint of a person's behind on the mattress, but no one was there. The mattress even sunk down. And they would have the blankets pulled off of them in the middle of the night. Uh, apparently, the things were all centered around their bedroom. Well, that must have been pretty scary for her, especially with the background. You know, they would have found that quite terrifying, I imagine. And she seemed not to be too much phased by it. She just, um, she just told me about it so matter-of-factly, and I said, okay, Grandma, and I just let it go. Well, um, we didn't buy the house here until years after she had passed. Uh, I think she would have enjoyed my experiences uh, could I have shared them with her. Right. So how many spirits do you actually feel that you have in your house? Well, we have had people who have seen apparitions. My wife and I, uh, we both saw a shadow figure once in our garage, which is odd because we actually, uh, the garage is built from the reclaimed lumber from a barn um, down the way that the wood is, uh, the wood itself is about the same age as what our house is, but the building is not, but we both, we looked at each other. Did you see that? Just a shadow figure, 3D black figure walked across the back of the garage. Mm -hmm. And my wife had seen a partial, uh, again, shadow figure almost forming. It scared our parrot, um, frightened him. That's why she looked up and saw it. It just, uh, just shocked the bird. He's screeching and screaming in his cage. And she looked over and saw like a swirling cloud of the torso shape of a person. Wow. And that rather flipped her out. But what's odd is I had just gone upstairs and I was reading and I heard footsteps in our dining room heading toward the living room, which that's not all that odd. So I didn't say anything to her until she, she told me the next day what she'd experienced. I said, what time was that? She said, about five minutes after you went upstairs. And I said, that's when I heard the footsteps. Wow, that's interesting. Of course, there's all sorts of theories about shadow people. And I, <clears throat> excuse me, I did an episode on them. And one of the theories is that shadow people are actually spirit who don't quite have the energy to manifest in, in full human form. And, and that would follow from our experience because the footsteps that I heard 
before she saw the shadow figure match the footsteps that we've often heard. It sounds like a heavy male with like leather soled shoes. Mm -hmm. I'm familiar with that because of my living history work, what that sounds like. And that would make sense. Now we have had, uh, of all things, a gentleman, two men were delivering a new clothes washer to us. And while the, the one gentleman is unhooking the original, our old washer, the other gentleman's in our main hallway at the foot of our main stairs with the new washer on a cart. And all of a sudden, I hear him kind of clearing his throat and say, excuse me. And I looked at him and he looked white. His eyes were wide. And he says, can I ask you something? I said, well, yeah. And I said, did you hear something? I said, people here doing work often stirs up. We have some things here. He said, no, I saw something. He said, I'm majorly creeping out right now. And, and I think I said in the book, I didn't know if he was going to run away or defecate or both. <laughs> I just said, oh, it's okay. Nothing's going to hurt you. But the poor guy was just scared to death. I said, well, what did you see? And he said, he saw a little girl. Mm. And he said he knew something wasn't right because of her clothing. And he described what sounded like about an 1870s, 1880s nightdress or play dress. He said she peered out from the middle bedroom at him, walked out and stood at the top of the stairs. And he said she was real as could be, but he knew her clothing. She had brown curly hair. He knew it was not of this time. And he said to the detail that the dress was white, but it was dirty. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, and he was, he was just, he couldn't get out of there soon enough. He, he was obviously very distraught. I have had another woman who knew the gentleman who lived here. She grew up near here, had visited this house through the years and she saw a very similar apparition. And she did not know the, the, you know, about the other case. So uh, that just amazed me. Another time I was a speaker at a paranormal conference and uh, a woman accosted me. She was uh, a medium and she actually was giving readings and she didn't know me from Adam. She stopped me. I'm walking by. She said, sir, sir you have a little girl with you. And I, excuse me, says, well, you have a little girl attached to you. I'm sorry. And then she, she explained a little bit, but she proceeded to describe this little girl in more detail than the man with the washer had described her and a little more detail, the hair and whatnot. And, and what she described is exactly like an 1880s hairstyle and whatnot. So we we did some research after all this, and we found that there was a little girl who died in 1882 or three. She was like maybe seven. Mm -hmm. She died of bone cancer. Mm -hmm. She did not live here, but this was her grandparents' house. Um, So we think, well, maybe that is, is who it is. And what's really Uh, Kind of amazing to me, I have a good friend who initially poo-pooed the idea of any paranormal anything happening here until he has visited and had his own experiences. So I told him about um, some of the stuff with the little girl. I did not share who I thought she was. He went and looked on his own, 
he came up with the exact same, he's a very good historical researcher. He came up with the same name. And ironically, this is like his great, great aunt. Wow. This, this young girl who died. And actually he has family connections to the house. Wow, that's pretty tragic, isn't it? And I guess she shows at your place because it was the place that she had loving memories of. That that's our the theory, and that's what people seem to think. And ironically, I had told you earlier about the footsteps. The one of my first experiences of footsteps running across upstairs. Uh, this sounded like a young barefoot child. Right. And the medium said, I said, well, why didn't the little girl cross over? The, the medium told us that she likes you. Said, you will hear her, but never, she doesn't like to get close to you. She's in the background. And at night when we're sleeping, we'll sometimes hear footsteps around the perimeter of the room or even mm -hmm. out in the hallway. And my wife has a necklace stand and we will hear these necklaces being played with and you'll even see them move. Wow. Times. And also we have a, an antique wardrobe, and she seems fascinated by playing with the door. You'll hear it creak. Uh, she's never fully opened it, but it's just odd that you don't normally hear it creak. It's not something, you know, it's almost something is manipulating it, and it seems to be when we're hearing the footsteps is when right. that happens. Oh, well, that's really actually kind of sweet kind of sweet actually can i go back to your barn for a second sure do you know anything about the history of the barn of uh, and i'm sorry i didn't understand what you said oh sorry your garage that was made oh from, yes from the wood of I the other barns uh -huh. do you know anything about the history of that because it's not actually uncommon for old buildings who who have had spirits in them if uh, the parts are used for other buildings, quite often the mm -hmm. spirit will come along with the parts. The, and actually the building is a barn that was on the ancestral farm, the family that established this farm. Right. Um, when the sons, of course, got older, they divided the farm among the sons. And the barn was one of the sons of the original, you know. Right. Um, people who who well it wasn't the builder but the second family to have the house right. and you, when when the barn came down my son and i salvaged the wood and used that to build a, the timber frame smaller barn that serves as our garage right do you do you know if anybody committed suicide in that barn we are not aware of that um and not not to say that it couldn't have happened Oddly, but we have seen, my grandson has seen, and other people have seen um, an older farmer in denim overalls, white shirt, very old-fashioned dress, and he was seen in the garage. We had a garage sale, actually. There are people around. We're sitting there. My grandson about fell off of his chair, and he asked me, did you see that? And he was maybe... 10 at the time and he yeah, said so, well what and he described this unbeknownst to him we had the same lady who saw the little girl we were talking to her outside and she said the farmer was standing she described the exact same thing was leaning against a tree near where we were talking 
So, and my grandson did not know anything about this. He, and he gave the exact same description and he saw the, also the farmer on the front porch. No one's ever seen him in the house, only outdoors. So perhaps that is the connection. Yeah, that's the connection. He came with the, came with the wood. Yeah. So I don't, I, I kind of, the gut feeling I got when you told me about the barn was that it was either a suicide, there was either a suicide happened in the barn, which is why he's attached to it, or he died in the barn through like you know a heart attack or something like that but suicide was the first thing that came to my mind so um yeah so that would be interesting to find that out and do you do you ever see him still um no one has seen him recently i've never seen beyond um the shadow figure my wife and i saw and i will backtrack um when we had first moved in the house, I was actually sitting right where I'm sitting now. Um, we hadn't lived in the house maybe more than a week. And my wife ran into town to get groceries. It was after dark. And I heard footsteps um, in the hallway approaching my office. And I stopped and I thought, is Diane home already? So I hollered out, hello. The footsteps stopped. I went back to work. The footsteps resumed. Um, the steps came in through my office, cast a human-sized shadow on the wall to my left. When it walked between the lamp on my desk and here, it got very cold. The steps went right beside me and then into our, the formal parlor to my right. When I looked, I didn't see anything, but yet what I could not see with my eyes cast a, a very clear shadow, which I wow. thought was rather odd. That's And did that one startle you or scare you? No, I was rather dumbfounded. I'd heard those same steps enough that I wasn't really frightened. I've never really been frightened of the paranormal. What's happened here, the vibes have always been generally good. Right. But I was speechless, and I just sat for a long time just looking. I got up, went into the parlor, and, of course, nothing was there. And actually, the door was closed, but the steps went through like the door was either open or not even there. So one of the theories, I, I guess you probably come across this when you've researched, is that if it's a residual haunting as opposed to an intelligent one, then they follow the same, like, like in England, for example, they'll see spirit come through a window and go through a wall, but actually they're following paths that were there, like there might have been a doorway where they go through the wall when they were sure. alive. Right. And I think we have both residuals and intelligence. Um, the the initial, the steps running across upstairs, when we've heard those, there's always the same, and they ex repeated exactly what John, the gentleman, Right. had experienced the steps that um, often will use and we haven't heard this one for a while would come in the front door you'd hear the the door open but not close and the steps would go up the stairs and then they would stop once they reached the top of the stairs but you go out and look the door was still closed it had never opened but that would tend to repeat but then right. other things are clearly intelligent so right yeah, the little girl certainly sounds intelligent. She sounds like she interacts. 
Absolutely. Wow. That's really, and how did this, for a man who was skeptical, how has this altered your paradigms, um, your perceptions? Um, I have had a complete paradigm shift. <laughs> it took me a while to come to grips with it. Um, I pushed and pushed and pushed and am I losing my mind, but workers, we had some contractors do some of the work they experienced things. Um, you know, when it kept happening and other people saw it, heard it, um, I, I finally realized something's going on here. And then I became curious. The one that really won me over is I was in the basement. I have some, I think, mediumistic abilities limited, but one of the things I learned early on is when we were having these paranormal things, I could sense the energy shift in the room very much. And I was in the basement, which is pure 1835, by the way. Uh, still has, it was the original kitchen, has the hearth and all that wow. in it. But I was down there, we were just using it for storage. That's one of the things we have yet to complete. But I felt the energy shift. And I had just, maybe a night or two before, watched one of the paranormal shows, The Ghost Hunters on television. Uh -huh. And they had done the old... <coughs> thing and had the spirit answer and they did get an answer so i thought i'm gonna try this i was just getting ready to leave for the evening it's before we had moved in so i said can you finish this for me and i did the and nothing and i remember think hearing that well you need to give them time to build the energy to respond so i waited maybe a minute and i tried it again i said this is my last time i'm ready to leave if you're here can you finish it and I did it, and sure enough, across the way, and amidst some of the stuff we had stored, came a clear, and then things were rustling, and then I heard steps, footsteps going up the stairs to the living room. Wow. That one, that really won me over, that okay, there's something interacting with us, something intelligent, something I cannot understand or explain. Wow, how cool is that? That's really cool. So th did this make you feel unsafe or uncomfortable? N never really unsafe or uncomfortable with one exception. And it wasn't because of the paranormal, but my father had helped me uh, take down some of the old furnace ductwork. It had a quite old furnace that no longer functioned. So we were getting a new one put in. He helped me tear down the old ductwork. It was still in the basement. And I came back. This was, It was a Sunday morning, about 11 a.m., beautiful, sunny, gorgeous day. And as I'm standing in the living room below me, something that sounded like someone with a big hammer was beating on that old duct. It was so powerful, I could feel the vibrations through the floor. Wow. And I thought someone had broken into the house and was trashing it. I grabbed a crowbar and ran down the stairs. It continued. I hit the bottom of the stairs, and our basement is in two rooms, and the stairs come out at the door between the two. And as soon as I hit the bottom of the stairs, all of a sudden, no pun intended, there was dead silence. Nothing. Wow. If that would have been an animal or something, I would have had to have heard it scurry away. Or if a person was really there, I would have seen it. I investigated. There was no dust. The 
pounding of that metal would have created dust in the air, I'm sure. Yeah. But I just, and I was there and I was frightened, but only because I thought somebody had broken in and I probably was rather foolish doing what I did running down there with a crowbar, but it rather angered me too. I was thinking you were five. But what's really weird is maybe a year or so later, my brother-in-law was helping out. He's a maintenance electrician, and he helped with some of the wiring. He was working third shift and working nights, so he um, was working during the day. I was at work at the newspaper, and he came to the front counter and asked for me. I go out to talk to him, and he says, you owe me a new pair of underwear. And I said, what? And he proceeded to describe the exact same experience. Um, I asked, was there anything down there? He said, I wasn't about to find out. Now he's an <laughs> army veteran, was a U.S. Army Ranger or whatnot. <laughs> he was having none of it. He packed up his tools and left. <laughs> and he, I had not told him about my experience. So I, I don't know any way he would have heard about that. Wow. Uh, so... So it's just rather odd that you had the exact same experience just maybe a year later. Wow. Very, that's very interesting. And you, of course, never found out what caused that. No, but I did uh, have a bit of illumination. I, a good friend of mine, her name is Kat Gash. She is a very talented medium. She's a, a paranormal author. Um, she lives uh, actually near the Gettysburg battlefield, near the Antietam battlefield, which is close by. But I was interviewing her um, for one of my books, and in the middle of a sentence, she just says, you have Margaret with you. And I said, pardon me? Well, Margaret, she said, you will hear Margaret before you'll see her. You'll smell Margaret before you will um, see her but she is with you there. And I thought this is odd, but unbeknownst to Kat, Margaret and Henry Miller were two early owners of the house. They both died of a fever within like maybe a couple weeks of each other in 1863. Mm. And we often have heard what sounded like, I guessed women's footsteps in the hall, which is where Kat said she was. We have sometimes smelled very old-fashioned perfume, mm. uh, or we sometimes an old, it smells like a liniment, like I would associate right. with older people from my youth, but a lavender type, which was very popular perfume back in her day. Yes, and she, and, and I thought that's odd because Kat could not have known Margaret was her name, but then Kat said, and you have, uh, you have someone else with you. She said, he's not, it's a gentleman. He's of about that same time period. I said, when are you talking? She says, I'm getting 1850s. And she described someone dressed that way. And she said, and she started talking about my office. She's never been to our house. I've never posted shared pictures of this office um, that she would ever have had a chance to see. She described the office. She says, you have a window. Um, off to your left. I said, yeah. She said, there's a large bush outside the window. This is, it's our ground floor for the one end, but the house is built into kind of a sand ridge. So it's almost between a, a first and second story level here. Mm-hmm. She said, there's a window directly below that. Correct? I said, yes. She said, well, 
Henry, or she didn't know the name, but I figured out this was Margaret's husband, Henry, because what she described, she said, he's hammering. You've heard hammering? He's hammering, but not a carpenter's hammer. It's like a machinist hammer. And she said, he's at that window. And she said, either you have found something near that lower window or you, he wants you to find something. But if you have found something, it's connected with him. Well, two things she did not know. My <laughs> grandson found a flintlock pistol barrel below that window in the basement, just the barrel of an 18, pre-1840s or pre-1845 military pistol. Uh, right under that window in the basement. The other thing about the hammering, he was a machinist. He owned the Brian Woolen Mills, and the wool carting machinery was here at the farm. He would have used a machinist hammer and go back to the hammering in the basement mm -hmm. uh, that I talked about, metallic hammering. Um, we took an old set of stairs down in the back. It was made out of brick and, and an old concrete. And the very day after that was taken down, I was working outside and I heard metallic hammering coming from where those steps had been. Not just a little bit, but it would stop if I walked over there. As soon as I walked back to where I was working, they resumed. Metallic hammering. Wow. So how cat, there's no way she could have known this stuff. She never did get the name, but who she described would be a perfect match for Henry Miller, Margaret's husband. Wow, how cool is that? So that ties that up quite nicely for you. Yes, and I, I say I've never seen anything. Perhaps the shadow figure that we see um, could be Henry. I know he would not match the description of the old farmer we see outside. That gentleman would be a little newer, yeah. probably early 1900s maybe from his dress what would he be from the depression era possibly yes that's, that's the possibly. impression that i get and that's possibly why he committed suicide and i do know that for part of the time this house was rented to um like maybe a tenant farmer or you know was not the family um at one point they built a newer house down the road but then later the family returned and we actually purchased it from the Ames family that bought it after the Millers died the Millers children had it for a while they sold it it's quite a history here. Four of the Millers' sons served in the Civil War, the Union Army. Two of them did not make it home. Oh, One sad. tragically survived the war and was killed in Cleveland in a bar fight on his way home. Oh, wow. Yeah, those were rough times, weren't they? That's sad for the family. So that's a good segue into your, into your uh, military use of a war stuff. Yeah, and uh, I've been fascinated with the Civil War. I had family on both sides. My grandmother, Champion, who um, I talked about her paranormal experience earlier, but she remembers sitting on her grandfather's lap. Her grandfather was a Confederate cavalry. But yes, as far as, you know, the, the Civil War, I've always been interested in it. When I visit, my mom is from Alabama, 
in the South, and uh, her family had lots of Confederate ancestors. I found out later, fought in the war, but I had uncles that take me to remains of battle that had taken part, like trenches that were dug for the battles there. So I've always been fascinated, but for some reason, I've always been drawn to Gettysburg. And which was odd because I knew of none of my family members who would have been involved in the battle. I was always fascinated with Little Round Top. It's the very southern end. It's a very iconic part of the battle because a regiment from Maine, the 20th Maine, fought the 15th Alabama Regiment, and it was like as close as you could be. And had the Alabamians taken the hill, it could have changed the battle outcome or seriously, um, you know, undermined the Union line. The main troops held on by the skin of their teeth. I was always fascinated by that. For whatever reason, I got the opportunity to be a 20th Maine soldier in the motion picture Gettysburg. Mm. which I found fascinating. But um, for one day, they needed more reenactors to be Alabama troops or filming some of the attack scenes. So for one day, I got to be a 15th Alabama soldier at Gettysburg. I did not know at the time that my great-great-grandfather and a great-great-great-uncle both fought with the 15th Alabama at Little Round Top. It was because of paranormal things that happened to me and my grandson at Little Round Top that led to me researching and wondering what's going on. But uh, what really got me, I'd been to Gettysburg. My wife and I honeymooned in Gettysburg, and it was always for the history. She's into history as well. But I took my grandson to Gettysburg. He was 14 at the time. We would go somewhere historic on spring break. We'd been to other Civil War battlefields. He wanted to go to Gettysburg. This was for the history. I did own the house at the time, and he had experienced paranormal things at the house and whatnot, but we weren't looking for that. Excuse me. So while we're at Gettysburg, I registered as a journalist, so I could get like behind the scenes tours of the visitor center and different things. Well, I was offered as a journalist, a free paranormal investigation, a place that did it for the tourists. And I thought, well, this is just a touristy thing. And I wanted my grandson to have a good time. So I said, Hey Connor, would you like to take a ghost tour or ghost hunt? Yeah, grandpa, that sounds cool. (laughs) So I call up and, this you know, young lady meets us, and they took us to Saks Bridge. And I was disappointed. It's a covered bridge. It was there during the battle. But I'd seen the bridge. I wasn't that excited about it. I wanted to go to, like, a field hospital site. Right. Well, lo and behold, we get to Saks Bridge. There are quite a few people there. There are other people investigating the paranormal. But our tour guide explained, oh, this was one vast field hospital at the time of the battle. So, you know, we, we investigate things we had. She let us pick out our equipment. We used a K2, you know, electronic, uh, electromagnetic field indicator. We used a laser grid. Um, we had s- some different tools. And we were there. This was to be two hours, and we had almost nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, the young lady who took us around 
claim to see a shadow figure, the way she reacted, I don't doubt. I don't think she made it up. My yeah. grandson saw one based on his reaction. I'm sure he, he did. But we're just about done, and we finally, it's like 11 o'clock at night, and we finally had the bridge to ourselves, and we started getting answers on the spirit box, you know, real-time EVPs on the spirit really? box. Like, you know, is anyone with us? Yes. How many uh, of you are with us? Seven, eight, nine. You know, what year is it? 1863. Like, wow, this is fascinating. And then it kind of died off. It's 11 o'clock, time to go. It was getting cold. It's early spring. So uh, mm -hmm. the young lady guiding us went to start the car to warm it up. And I'm sitting there with my grandson, and I'm thinking, okay, if this is really not a hoax, you know, these are Civil War soldiers, what would get them going? So I said, do you like jokes? And we got a very clear, yes, sir. I thought, oh. You know, that's kind of interesting. I said, well, do you like music? And it was like I'd insulted whatever this was. Of course. And my grandson, bless his heart, quick thinking, says, can you play for us? Yes, sir. And we started getting acoustic guitar. Now, of course, the spirit box works by scanning radio stations, but it's very rapid, like blah, 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 blah. And so if you got maybe a note from a song, you're not going to get, these were measures long, acoustic guitar, um, just absolutely mind-blowing stuff. When the young lady came back, she heard this music. Her eyes got just about this big around, and you know, her mouth was open. And this went on for several minutes. And then when it finally died down, I said, wow, you're good. And the voice says, thank you. I said, can you play some more? Yes, sir. And this time harmonica and what sounded like mandolin joined in. Wow. Like 10 minutes of this period music. And then when finally that faded out, we were getting other voices, other answers. One um, said that he said the word, um, captain but uh we're getting this voice and uh well where are you from and we couldn't understand it so i started naming off states when i got to ohio he says yes i said oh connor and i are from ohio we each had a k2 meter as did our guide connor's and mine k2 meters that we could barely get to bleep if we put some electronic beside it both went to the top level and stayed there several mm -hmm. seconds. Our guides did not budge. And then, you know, he kept saying, well, how old are you? 20. And then unsolicited, he said, captain. Wow. And like, wow. So, and then our guide asked his name and we got, it was tough to make out. It was a clear three syllables like on, very on in the middle, and like sounded kind of rough, maybe an S at the end, but he kept repeating it. The, our guide kept saying, can you enunciate more clearly? It's like this, you could sense the strain, like this male voice wanted us to have this name. And finally, we, we gave up, and when it finally ended, oh, and it even, we asked, can you say one of our names? And it said, Connor. Um, which I think that kind of got him a little bit. He kind of jumped, but he was real good with it. But then at the very end, I said, were you hurt? 
and we got this male scream, almost blood curdling. It still sends chills down my spine uh, to think of it. And then a woman crying. At that point, some other people came onto the other end of the bridge, and we that took the wind out of her sail. But at the end of the spirit box session, I thought that I was being hoaxed because I was a journalist. They wanted a good write-up. So we... You know, I when I kept peppering this poor young lady about it, and she seemed very sincere. She said, "No, I've never heard music, never had this good a session." And when I got home, I was bound and determined I was going to prove that this was a hoax. Right. So I started talking to people in the field, and I thought, "Okay, well, were there any Ohio captains killed or mortally wounded at Gettysburg?" So I researched. There were seven of them. One of them, the name was Malin Briggs. Three syllables on captain in the 75th Ohio Regiment. He was wounded on the first day of the fight, captured. He was probably taken to Saks Bridge as a prisoner, and he died on the third day of the battle as a prisoner, probably died at Saks Bridge where this took place. I was blown away. That's when I decided I'm going to write about this. And I'd had friends, coworkers kept urging me, you need to write about it. I kept saying, no, people think I've lost my blooming mind. But that, and that's where the title came from. I met a ghost to Gettysburg. And that's actually on the cover of the book, his photo. I found the soldier's photograph. Wow. So, there you are, you had this amazing life-altering experience, and so you tried to prove that it was not genuine or prove that it was genuine. Correct, and I thought for sure I could easily prove it was a hoax. Right. You can't broadcast to these things because no. they scan stations, at, and and everyone told me who had experience in it, and I talked to some of the top spirit box you know <clears throat> people in the field people would refer me on and they're also that's how it happens you'll get nothing you get nothing you get nothing you'll get a lot maybe if you're lucky and then nothing again and that's exactly what happened to us wow and the fact that the music came through that's pretty incredible i've actually never heard of music coming through a spirit box before our guide had not, and I guess other people have had it, but I've never heard anyone have an experience. We got, I wouldn't be surprised if we got a total of 15 or 20 minutes wow. of period acoustic guitar, harmonica, and mandolin. Our parrot even, and maybe not be a good time to mention, our parrot um, has reacted to some of the paranormal experiences one time and this happened like three days in a row i would be working in my office about 3 three thirty in the afternoon and i would hear what sounded like a young lady coughing in the living room the first time i heard it, i thought who in the world got into the house and i walked down there and there's nothing there but the third day it happened my parrot imitated it and he'll imitate us coughing but the original cough was not him he imitated the cough that I had just heard in the living room, oh, which wow. I found rather surprising. And he'll often play peekaboo with something mm -hmm. in the dining room. Um, 
and I've actually used like an ovulus type app and gotten answers to questions, can feel the cold. And he mm -hmm. obviously is interacting, playing peekaboo. He'll talk to whatever's there. He apparently can see it and we cannot. And he seems to like whatever it is. He, he reacts, responds well, and seems to have fun with it. Oh, wow. That's so cool. After your experience and after your research to try and prove that it was a hoax and you were unable to, and in fact, you had your experience validated, um, which is pretty awesome because that's not very often that that actually happens. So from there, you decided after a lot of, of I guess, great thought, given your journalistic integrity, to write your book. Yes. And I, uh, I still remember my wife and I went, we picked up the first set of printings from the printer. And I remember driving home in the van thinking, what have I done? I could just picture people laughing at me, poking fun at me. But the reaction was just the opposite. I won't say there have been no detractors, but they have been rare and I have been extremely well received. Um, I, especially in Gettysburg with my Civil War history, I've done history books on the war. So I tend to be well accepted at Gettysburg. I do talks, book signings. I speak at paranormal conferences. Wow. Um, the Gettysburg has what's called the Battlefield Bash, a huge paranormal event every summer. I was one of their um, one of their keynote speakers last year for that. I was very, very thrilled about that, but it has opened doors to me, especially in the, in the Gettysburg area that have been amazing. It's probably opened up a whole different area for you that would never have occurred had you not written the book. So it's given you vastly new experiences, which is pretty awesome, really. It's been life-changing. It really has. Uh, I have some of the top investigators, you know, in the field I've gotten to investigate with, especially at Gettysburg, some amazing places. Uh, I have been taught techniques. I, um, for about the last two years, I've been very much into use of dousing rods. Yes, and I, I think the science is solid behind them. I can go to Gettysburg. I can go to Saks Bridge. My dad actually made contact with Malin Briggs at the same spot. I talked to him with the ghost box. My dad made contact with him with the dowsing rods handed me the dowsing rods and I was able to get further questions, answers to some of my questions from Malin Briggs, wow. including he pointed to where he was at. Wow, that's pretty impressive. And dowsing rods, of course, work on energy and spirit is energy. And I read in your second book where you started talking about using the dowsing rods and how they work for you. And, and of course, dowsing rods have been used for centuries. And they they do work. I think it's it's rather amusing. I found the septic tank to our old house using them. And uh, my son did not believe me, but my grandson, I gave him the dousing rods. My son tried them. He got nothing. And I didn't tell him where the tank was or the line or anything. <clears throat> but my grandson found the tank, too, using 
And when we needed to have it pumped the first time, I showed the um, the man doing the pumping where it was. I told him how I found it, and he said he uses dousing rods sometimes when he has difficulty finding the tank. And it was right where I had found it. Well, there you go. There you go. And, of course, dousing rods have been used to find everything. Traditionally, they're used for water to find water. Um, um, I've, I've talked to people who found graves with them. Wow. And I have good friends who own a farm outside of Gettysburg. It was a Confederate field hospital. And wow. the Park Service has told them there's at least a dozen Confederate graves unmarked on their property. One is marked, but there was a spot. Um, where they got a lot of metal detector hits and he suspected it was a grave. So he didn't dig into it. I took my dousing rods and he showed me the general area and I was able to trace an area about two feet wide and just under six feet long. The wow. exact size of what a grave would be. So they've not disturbed, you know, that with the metal detector. Wow, how cool is that? How cool! And when you use the dowsing rods, Don, do you do you feel an energy flowing through you? Like, yeah, very, very much so. Uh, I mean, I will feel the hair on the back of my neck stand up, right. and it, it's amazing because I can go to Saks Bridge, um, the far end from where Malin Briggs's presence is. And I can talk to a soldier from the um, 44th Alabama. And I, by, just by yes-no answers, knowing what regiments would have been there from Alabama, and I know what company he's in, I mean, to the point that I've asked questions like, you know, did you leave someone behind? Yes. You know, do you miss your family? Yes. I asked um, did you have a sweetheart? Yes. Were you married? Yes. Did you have children? Yes. How many children did you have? Nothing to one, nothing to two, but yes to three. Wow. What me. real? And I can do this if I'm alone. My wife has been with me and I can make contact and my dad can be with me. Uh, if there's anybody else anywhere near, I can't get contact. I had a very good friend with me once, and I couldn't make contact. But the one time I asked a question, I asked, are you glad to communicate with me? Do you appreciate being able to communicate with me? The rods didn't just cross, Marianne. They bounced off my chest. That still makes me emotional thinking about it. Wow, that's pretty cool. A question about the bridge. And now it's a covered bridge, isn't it? Yes, it is. So did they actually, uh, so the thought that came to me while you were talking is that they, did they actually use the bridge as like the hospital because it was covered and it provided shelter? Probably not because there was a lot of troop movement, but because of the water, it was a hot, time of the year they they use laid the wounded along the creek oh, they okay, would make right use of the, the water wow. and it's very unfortunate because right after the battle they had torrential rains and the <gasps> creek flooded and drowned oh, some right. of the poor men who um and we know the low area where we think that happened that's where the shadow figures there's a very heavy energy there too well, it would be be 
pretty terrifying for wounded men who could see the floodwaters rising. And the house that the Sachs family um, lived in nearby is quite active paranormally. I had a chance to meet the owners, and they've invited me to um, investigate the house. No one lives in it. They have purchased it. I don't know if they plan to live in it or perhaps rent it, maybe use it as a a rental property for visitors. Um, But I'm looking forward very much to maybe spending the night there and investigating. Oh, that sounds awesome. Oh, can I jump in your suitcase and come with you? Oh, I'd love <laughs> sure. to do that. If you, if you come to the U.S., you would be welcome, yeah. <laughs> that would be awesome. When we started, my brother-in-law, Craig, hi, Craig, If you, I know he's likely going to be listening to this, absolutely loves Civil War and reenactment. So he took his brother, Jay, who was my husband, and I, and I think his then wife, Rhonda, we all went to this battlefield, and I honestly can't remember where it was. But it was a huge, like, it had been turned into, like, a park, you know, and there were plaques everywhere. You know, you'd walk along and there was plaques saying, this is where such and such happened. Yeah. We were just walking along and all of a sudden I just got this pain in my back, this tremendous sharp pain. It almost took me to my knees. It stopped me. And it was so painful, and I felt like I had been shot or stabbed with a bayonet. And it was like in my back. And the instant that happened, I got the impression of a young young guy in his early 20s, maybe. And and um it, it was so it was so strong and so painful it made me cry out. And everybody said, What's wrong? What's wrong? And it took me a couple of minutes before I could catch my breath and say, oh, I I just, I'm in really bad pain at the moment. And I think it's the soldier. I think I'm feeling what he felt before he died. Wow. Uh, Because I could see him in my mind's eye, tall, slender guy. And, but I've never had um, like a physical uh, pain like that. And that was really, and I, I absolutely was not expecting anything like that. I didn't go into the site. I just went to the site thinking, oh, it's going to be beautiful. It'll be interesting to mm-hmm. see. But I didn't actually expect to experience anything. Yeah, that's that's pretty intense. I've had two rather odd experiences at Civil War battlefields. The first, this was a couple of decades ago. I'm still, we don't have the book completed, but a good friend of mine and I each had ancestors in the 38th Ohio Regiment. And their big battle was at Jonesboro, Georgia. And there's no battlefield there. It's been taken over by a residential area. But we are retracing a charge. They lost almost half their men in a 20-minute battle, and we were retracing their steps. There was one point where there was a low area. They took shelter for a while. They were under heavy fire. We found that low area, and there was a local historian guiding us. Well, I climbed down into that low area, and all of a sudden, I was, like, struck. My energy vanished. In my mind's eye, I could see and sense and feel the battle. I could see the remnants of the Confederate entrenchments. There's now a school behind it. I could, like, see the Confederate troops in my mind's eye Mm. fighting. 
And it was so intense. I couldn't even talk. My friend thought something was wrong with me. He told me later I was white as a ghost, but I was too embarrassed to say anything, especially with this historian there. So I just said, I'm okay. It took me maybe eight or 10 minutes to even get up the energy to climb back up to where they were. And I wasn't right for a while after that, that day. But after we dropped the historian off, my friend asked me, what's wrong? He said, you turned white as a ghost. He said, I thought you were going to pass out. And I explained to him, and at the time, this was before any of my paranormal experiences, I just thought, well, to save time, we had... We were using vacation days. We took turns driving through the night to get there. We were short mm-hmm. on sleep. I just attributed it to that kind of overactive imagination. I knew what happened there, but I never, I never felt quite right that that explained it. But that's what I told myself. Right, of course. Well, about two years ago, I was in Gettysburg with a friend. And I actually wanted to find out where Malin Briggs regiment went on the second day of the battle Um, after they'd been pushed off and retreated and Malin was wounded. They lost over half their men in that part of the battle. So we found it's not a very often visited spot and I'm walking along and I saw the markers, you know, the plaques like you, you were talking about, and then the stone markers showing where these troops were. And I saw to the left of where the 75th Ohio was, was the 107th Ohio. I didn't know anything about this regiment, but this is interesting. I've never been to this part of the field. So my friend and I are walking up along the, the, up the hill where they fought. And all of a sudden, I had a repeat of my experience at Jonesboro. Only this time it was dark and I'm seeing muzzle flashes just like mad and I'm sensing yelling and confusion. And it was the same thing. I was struck. I couldn't move. I could barely stand. And my friend thought something was wrong with me. He thought I was having a stroke. And it was minutes before I could even tell him I'm okay and my friend is not into the paranormal. He's a really good historian, but I just so I told him what happened, and he he said obviously something happened to me. He he believes me. He's on board with all that. But that led to my current project is a history of the 107th Ohio at Gettysburg and Chancellorsville battles. That led me to look into these poor guys. They were a German regiment, and they were treated horribly because of their German ethnicity. They fought as, I thought, as bravely and valiantly on both the first and second day at Gettysburg. And they were disparged, insulted because they've retreated. Their colonel, who had been wounded at Chancellorsville, he proved his bravery. He was arrested and charged with cowardice. Oh, wow. He he beat the charge. He he ended up being released and exonerated, but um, it was a very anti-German commander that they had that did that. So I feel like I'm supposed to tell their story, and I think that incident has has led me to this point. It's the book I'm working on now. Wow. Oh well, actually, uh, I was actually going to ask you before you started, what's your next project? So there you go. Oh well, now you can now you can can edit that in, I guess. But that is my next project. It's uh, I'm I don't have the exact title worked out. The working title is 
Discharging the Ghosts of Dishonor. And the subtitle will be The 107th Ohio at Chancellorsville in Gettysburg. Oh, that's a really cool title. And and I haven't exactly decided on that, but I'm leaning toward it very much or something very similar. similar. Mm-hmm. So how many books do you actually have altogether now? I I retired as a newspaper editor. I mean, it took early retirement. I'm not quite old enough to retire to do my publishing full time, but I did my first book, a Civil War book back in 1996, and I've done several different ones. I publish works by other people as well. Currently in print, I have the two Gettysburg Ghost books, a book called Hell on Belle Isle, called How Private Peck Put Down the Rebellion. Then I also have volumes of my, I do a weekly column for the newspaper that I still do. And it's become kind of iconic here in Northwest Ohio. And I've done best of volumes of my columns. Wow, how cool is that? Wow. So I'm I'm kind of living my dream. (laughs) That's awesome. And how many people can actually say that? I, I'm quite lucky, and the paranormal, um, the the two paranormal books do better than any of my traditional history or column books do. Well, because people, you know, have a fascination and they want to know that life continues on after this existence. So, what is your website so people can go and check out for themselves? It's uh, I actually have. Two, in connection with my books, my business is called Faded Banner Publications. The website for that is www.fadedbanner.com, like an old flag. And then for the paranormal books, I have www.imetaghost.com. I didn't know about the second one. I knew about your faded banner one. I found that when I Googled your name, but I didn't know about the second one. So I have to go and have a look at that one too. Awesome. Awesome. So so do you have any final thoughts about your experiences and how they've, you know, been life altering for you? I now realize that I'm firmly convinced that our existence here, physical existence on this earth is not all that we, that we have. Uh, there's more in store for us. Um, I've had many experiences I didn't even get into, including uh, having a dearly departed friend um, come to me at Gettysburg. He has a Gettysburg connection, a medium I had just met proceeded to tell me about this guy being here making fun of me like only my friend would she told me things that my friend was telling her that there's no possible way she could have made this stuff up nobody on this earth not even my wife could have answered that so yes i there's no doubt in my mind i would also like people to be more open i'd like to encourage young people in the sciences to to study parapsychology. Quantum physics has some incredible research going on that sheds light into this. I love quantum physics. Absolutely love it. I did an episode actually um, called uh, A Glitch in the Matrix, A Holographic Reality. 
and oh. I, I'll send you the link. And it, I'd I love to, to hear that. did about 30 hours research for that episode. It was like writing a mini thesis, actually. And I covered a whole pile of the top quantum physicists and and oh. we went into the holographic universe theory and just is absolutely fascinating. It's and actually that's probably my most listened to episode ever. So oh, it really cool. rings a bell with people. Yeah. It, it does. And have you looked into the uh, double slit theory yes. with the light particles? That blows my mind. The pack, fact that people can retroactively change <laughs> by their thoughts, what those, that to me is just, it's just nothing short of mind blowing. It's fascinating, isn't it? And I do talk a bit about that experiment in the, in the episode. It's absolutely fascinating. And it behaves differently when people are observing it. And that's the part that, and there's some recent research showing that the human mind actually communicates using light, mm-hmm. which, I uh, mean, you know, scientific experiments showing that exact physical, mental connection takes you down a whole different field, doesn't it, Don? And I can actually see you going, doing a book in this direction at some stage. I I met a gentleman at a paranormal conference that I spoke at who had just done a book kind of connecting quantum physics with, he's a, he's a um, paranormal investigator, and he tied in a lot of these experiments with the paranormal fascinating book. I wish I could remember the the title of it, but I have it here somewhere in my books. But quantum physics, fascinating subject, and it answers a lot of questions that regular science cannot answer. Explains a lot of things that regular science can't explain. It, it really does, and I think that's where the answers lie. Another part of this, to me, that I think is significant, I believe that. These are all natural laws. This is all something that science, I think, maybe eventually will explain, but right. we just can't explain it yet. The right. analogy I use is kind of like ancient people seeing a rainbow. To them, it was magic. It was God's inner, you know, interposing yeah. himself or, or whatever. And now we know it's just simple light refraction and, you know, moisture droplets, but I think that's a good, maybe a good analogy to help explain the unexplained. Exactly. Yeah, it is a good analogy. And and I often um, think of that uh, uh, Shakespeare quote, there are more things on heaven and earth, Horatio, they've dreamt of in your philosophy. Yes. One of my favorite quotes is Joshua Chamberlain, who commanded the 20th Maine at Gettysburg. Uh, And I wish I could could quote it verbatim, but in effect, he said, on great fields, spirits linger and the forms are still there. And it's just, it's actually on the back cover of, uh, I think it's on the back cover of my Metagost, Met Morgos book. That's a beautiful quote. And it reminds me of, you know, the first law of, is it thermodynamics? Energy never dies. It simply changes form. And basically what we are is energy. 
Yes, and, and I think part of that, at least a part of that energy survives us. Absolutely. I think that's the basis of the human soul in my mind. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, Donna, it's been absolutely, uh, I've really enjoyed our conversation and you were such an interesting man and I'm be very keen to see your next book when it comes out. <laughs> How far away do you think it is? Um, well, originally it would be out now. It would have been out in late April, but I still have to do research at the uh, Gettysburg right, National Park archives and they're closed. They closed days before I was going to, to right. do that research. And had I been able to get there, the book would be out now. Um, I'm wrapping up the other parts of it. And as soon as that reopens, I plan to spend two or three days in Gettysburg. I've made a lot of friends there, so I'll, it will be a pleasure and a working trip. Right. And, of course, once everything from this forest opens up again and you can do that, that's awesome. Don, thank you so very much for your time today. I really, really appreciate it. And it's such an interesting chat. And I know my, I'm sure my listeners are going to absolutely enjoy it as much as I have. Well, I, I hope so. I've enjoyed it very much. Thanks, okay. Marianne. I really enjoyed my time with Donna and our conversation. Such an interesting gentleman. Be sure and check his books out. They are very easy, interesting read. What do you think you would have done in the same situation? Do you feel that you would have dealt with having your beliefs shattered as well as Don did? I feel like he handled this really well and then utilised the skills he's honed over all his years of journalism to help him come to terms with the situations. Well done, I reckon. Today's bumper music is called Two Lies from Alice in Winterland. If any of you who regularly listen to the show and enjoy it would like to become a patron of the show, then for just $5 a month you can become a supporter less than the cost of a cup of coffee. As a thank you, you get access to a special members-only page on the podcast website www.walkingtheshadowlands.com from which you can download in PDF format written transcripts of each episode ever published. You also have access to extra bits like parts of interviews that don't make it to air, EVPs that are sometimes captured when I'm recording episodes and other occasional extras like a relaxation meditation I created for you all. You also get early access to the episodes just before everyone else gets to hear them and of course you absolutely have my gratitude and great appreciation. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash mcc15 and you can join up from there or follow the link from this episode's page on the walking the shadowlands website www.walkingtheshadowlands.com or if you have any suggestions for topics you might like me to cover in upcoming episodes 
then please don't hesitate to contact me. Or if any of you have any questions, suggestions or any comments that you'd like to make or experiences that you might like to share with myself or my audience. Or if you feel you might be a good fit as a guest on my podcast, then just email me at shadowlands at yahoo.com. Check out our Facebook page, Walking the Shadowlands, our Instagram feed of the same name, and our Twitter feed, at Shadowlands10. Like and follow for hints on our upcoming episodes. If you enjoyed this episode, then please leave a positive rating, and don't be shy to leave a written review on your chosen podcasting platform, or on the podcast Facebook page, Walking the Shadowlands. And of course, so you don't miss out on any episode, make sure you subscribe on your favourite podcasting platform. This podcast is available on all free podcasting platforms and iHeartRadio as well. If you don't have a smartphone, then you can listen to the episodes from the podcast website, www.walkingtheshadowlands.com. For those hearing impaired, there's a full written transcript of each episode on the website so you don't miss out at all. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your workmates about our show. Encourage them to listen and to subscribe also. The more, the merrier. Thank you so much for listening today, tonight, whatever time it is, wherever you're living in this beautiful world of ours. We'll see you in two weeks' time. Thanks for listening. 